When Jesus rescues you, you are thoroughly rescued. You're not halfway out of the pond or out of the ditch or whatever. You're out of the ditch. Amen. You're in his hands. You're safe. Amen. Let's pray, shall we, before we open scriptures. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in one of your appearances to the disciples after you've been raised from the dead, you opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And you've sent us the Holy Spirit also to be our teacher. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, you who inspired scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is, is, is beneficial to us. We pray you'll help us to understand it with our minds and respond to it from our hearts with faith and action. Let the truth set us free some more again today, we pray. Amen. There we are. Good. That's working. Something's working. We're struggling with, it, with some of our IT at the moment. Um, I've been thinking about this name of Jesus, the Son of Man, for most of the summer, really. And if you go through all four Gospels, you find Jesus repeatedly calls himself the Son of Man. The Greek word is anthropos, simply means man. There are dozens of references. Uh, it's the way that he usually referred to himself, the name he called himself. And there are just sort of three key areas I'd, I'd point out. He defined his mission in this way. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's his purpose in, in coming. Then in his death and resurrection, in predicting his death, he talks about being lifted up. In John 3, uh, the son of, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. John 8, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am. English versions have he after it, but it's actually just simply, you will know that I am. And then in John 12, after the Father has spoken over him, Jesus said, this voice is not for my benefit, but yours. Judgment is upon this world. The prince of this world will be cast out. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate the death that he was going to die. Years ago, there was a song, you know, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher, if it's not for the world to see. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Oh, my word, how wrong can you get it? Lifted up was on the cross. If I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw unto me. This he said to indicate the death he was going to die. Then his return at the end of the age as well. He will come again. The Son of Man will come. The Son of Man... The end of the age will send his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom every cause of sin and all who practice lawlessness. They'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. Thank you, John, for anticipating that one. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. The Son of Man will come in his Father's glory. And he will repay each one according to what he's done. The Son of Man will come in his glory and all the angels with him. And he will sit on his glorious throne. And so on. So... The, Pictures again and again, Jesus teaching, referring to himself as the Son of Man in what he was about to do, what he was then doing, what he was going to do next, what he was going to do in the future in his return. Now, interesting thing is, in most of the places in the Old Testament, this is a phrase from the Old Testament, where you read Son of Man, it's actually, literally, Son of Adam. Son of Adam. So while we might think it just means a human being, actually maybe an earthly being, neither a heavenly being, in Psalms and Numbers and Job and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and even in Daniel, 
God is talking to them as sons of Adam. C.S. Lewis and his Narnia Chronicles. Anybody read Narnia Chronicles? Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe? You should read some C.S. Lewis. He has Aslan calling the human children son of Adam and daughter of Eve, yeah? Lewis was onto something. Son of Adam is exactly what the Lord calls his prophets. You read multiple times in Ezekiel, God saying, son of Adam, what do you, what do you see? And once the Lord addresses Daniel in Daniel 8 as son of Adam, which is interesting. They were prophets. They were faithful men of God. But he calls them son of Adam. It's, but there's something endearing in that. They're fallen human beings, yet he's called them and appointed them as his prophets under his hand, hearing his voice. They're his messengers, his mouthpiece. It's as if the Lord is saying, here you are, you're a son of Adam, but I've chosen you and I've, I've called you and I've appointed you. There's some grace in there as well. But Jesus never calls himself son of Adam, but he calls himself son of man. This is not simply a human name. Jesus is not saying he is merely human. There are occasions when he uses the Son of Man in quite a different way. He's not merely human. He's more than another Ezekiel or Daniel. We're going to look at three incidents in Mark's Gospel where Jesus himself calls himself the Son of Man. And it actually points to his divinity, his Godhood. But first, let's go to Daniel 7. If you've got a Bible, turn to Daniel 7. Pick it up in verse 13. Daniel has a vision in the night. And uh, Daniel 7, verse 13. Sorry, I'll put it up here. Oh, okay. Told you we had IT problems. In my vision in the night, I continued to watch, and I saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given dominion glory and kingship that the people of every national language should serve him his dominion is an everlasting kingdom that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed that's not son of adam that's simply son of man a human being this person enters the throne room of god and is given the kingdom of god he's actually appointed to be judge of all the earth as well This is not a fallen human being, but it is still a human being. Now, who would that be? Thank you. Somebody got it right. You remember John saying last week, you know, if a creature asks you a question, you can answer Jesus. You'll probably be right most of the time. (laughs) Jesus, son of man, and this is the gospel here in Daniel 7. This prophecy in Daniel 7 is not... Popular opinion is like this. It's not about the second coming of Jesus. It's about his ascension. It's about his exaltation. It's about his enthronement. The Son of Man comes into the throne room of God and is seated at his right hand. He's given the kingdom. He comes with the clouds of heaven, which that phrase can typically mean in Scripture, with the armies of God, with the armies of heaven, the, armies, the angelic armies. The angelic armies accompany him as he comes into the presence of God. Now I know the tradition points to Jesus' ascension to heaven being from the Mount of Olives, 10, 40 days after his resurrection and 10 days before Pentecost or so, thereabouts. But I'm with the New Testament scholars that say that's not the way it reads in Scripture. Let me just give you one point here. In all of the toings and throwings on resurrection morning, you know, the, the, the women go to the, the graveside, they find it empty, angels speak to them, tell them to go back to the disciples, tell them to go to Galilee, but they don't. Uh, and, and then 
you know, the disciples go and have a look, and then Mary goes back. Mary Magdalene goes back, and this is what happens to her. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she bent down to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and the other at the feet. Woman, why are you weeping, they asked. Because they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. When she'd said this, she turned around. Some instinct made her turn. And saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you weeping, Jesus asked. Whom are you seeking? Thinking he was the gardener, groundskeeper, she said, Sir, if you've carried him off, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Do not cling to me, Jesus said, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go and tell my brothers, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary went and said to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Do you see her words there? I'm sorry, it doesn't work, but never mind. Do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my Father. Tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. That's an interesting message, which I think we've ignored. The traditional view Jesus didn't go to the Father until 40 days later doesn't fit with that. And here's the thing. Jesus says, you can't hold on to me. I've got to go now. But within a short space of time, the other women coming back away from the disciples, Jesus appears to them and they cling to his feet and worship him. And he doesn't say, you know, you must stop that now because he's done what he said he was going to do, which is he's ascended to the Father. Later on in the day, he appears to the two on the way to Emmaus. Later that evening, he appears to the eleven, to, sorry, to ten disciples. Thomas isn't there. And he invites them, touch me, feel me, I'm real. A week later, another week later, they're supposed to have gone to Galilee, but they, they, st- they still haven't got it, so they can't get there yet. He appears with Thomas there. And what does he say to Thomas? Thomas, come and, come and touch me. Come and touch me. Feel me. I'm real. That was his message. Then the Lord sends him to Galilee, where he eats and walks with the disciples. He appears probably to the 500 that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians there. And Matthew records that of that number, some of them still doubted. But then on a hill in Galilee, at least a week before the Mount of Olives, at least a week before the Mount of Olives, he appears to them on a hill in Galilee and says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Our traditional focus on the Mount of Olives, where the disciples see him go from them, has missed the point. The evidence of scripture is Jesus entered into his kingdom very soon after he rose from the dead. He wasn't with them even for the whole 40 days. He came and went. When he wasn't with them, he was with the Father. Soon after Jesus rose from dead, he ascended to the Father. Daniel saw in prophetic vision the Son of Man entering heaven and being given the kingdom of God. Uh, David writes in in Psalm 24 these words. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, Yahweh, capital letters, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may enter. Why is God re-entering heaven? Because it's Jesus returning from the earth. He's coming into his glory. 
Jesus said, I'm going to go back to the Father and receive again the glory I had from, that I had from the beginning. He's the King of Glory is entering in again to his glory. It's interesting that David says, take the gates off. Literally, you kind of take them off the hinges. You know, make, them, make the big space as big as you can because he's coming. I get excited by this. I don't know if you do. <laughs> and he's returning from battle. He's overcome all his enemies and he's coming back into. He's coming back home. Amen. The King of Glory coming in. Who is this King of Glory? Yahweh of hosts. He is the King of Glory. So where Jesus goes, the angels go. He's got his, he's got his posse. He's got his troop. So was fulfilled that Old Testament scripture, which is referred to a number of times in the New Testament. The Lord Yahweh says to my Lord Adonai, a, a king, a lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now I'm going to look at three instances where Jesus talks about the Son of Man in a way that is surprising. You know, some people have glib kind of commentaries on the Gospels. This Gospel is this, and this Gospel is that, that Gospel is that. The more I read them, I think, nah, it's too glib, too, too flip. Much more de- there's much more depth in that, actually. You can't sum them up in one sentence. So we're going to go to Mark. We could go to Mark, Matthew, Mark and Matthew and Luke, but let's just stick with Mark. First of all, Mark 2, Jesus is the forgiver of sins. Do you remember this? Jesus is at Capernaum. There's a paralyzed man. His friends want to get him to Jesus so he can be healed. They break up the roof, lower him down. And there he is. Jesus, there he's on, on his mat or his kind of palace, whatever you call bed. And Jesus looks at him. And uh, Jesus saw their faith, it says in Mark 2, verse 5. And he said to the paralytic, guess what he said? No, not yet. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Um, did he miss the point? God wants to be healed. His friends want him healed. Son, your sins are forgiven you. And Jesus knew straight away that some of the Jewish leaders in the background in the corner were saying, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He says, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to him, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, get up, pick up your mat and go home. The man got up, picked up his mat and walked out. R.C. Sproul comments this way. Jesus did this to teach them something. What was the lesson? He performed the miracle so onlookers would know that he, the Son of Man, had authority to forgive sins. This is not a statement of self-effacing humility, calling himself the Son of Man. His contemporaries understood what he was saying. When they heard Jesus saying the Son of Man had authority to forgive sins on earth, he was claiming to be divine. He was God. Not long after that, it's a Sabbath day, the disciples are going through the fields and they're picking bits of corn and rubbing it and eating it. The Pharisees said to him, Lord, why are, you, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, have you never read what David did when he was hungry and in need? They ate the, the bread of the presence from the tabernacle, which is lawful only for the priests. Then he said this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, 
Archie Sproul points out, first century Jews understood that God, the creator of the universe, had made the Sabbath and had given it to Israel as a sign for them. So the Sabbath was his. It was up to him what could and couldn't happen on the Sabbath. Jesus says, it's up to me to say what can we, do, we can be doing on the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It's my call. What does that make him? God. Those two incidents are linked closely together. Jesus is calling himself God. When Jesus forgave the man his sins, Jesus didn't say, in the name of the Lord, be forgiven. He said, I say to you, your sins are forgiven you. He's not using the authority of God in the sense of, you know, referencing God's authority. It's his authority to forgive sins. Which brings us to the third piece. It's in, oops, sorry. Yeah. The king of heaven. Mark. Uh, this, is, this is... Yes, Mark 14. Sorry. The night... That Jesus is betrayed, he's arrested in the garden. But even in, in that account, there's a little vignette in John's Gospel, where as, the, as this group of soldiers and officers carrying lanterns and torches and weapons approach Jesus, he says to them, who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he says those two words in Greek, I am. Do you know what happened? Anybody read it? They fell down. <laughs> they fell down. He said, I am. And they went, whoo fell over. Backwards, I should suppose. So then he asked them again, who are you seeking? And he lets them get to their feet and they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I told you I am. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. He takes authority over that situation. I'll come with you, but you let them go. No negotiation. That's, that's the deal. He's in charge. We then read in the Gospels a series of false charges and trials which continue through the night. But the end with Jesus facing the Jerusalem Council, which is chaired by the high priest at the time. And Jesus makes in Mark 14, 61, no reply. The guy, again, the high priest questioned him, are you the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And again, Jesus says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Sound like Daniel 7? Almost. At this, the high priest tore his clothes and said, why do we need any more witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What is your verdict? And they all condemned him as deserving death. I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, hang on a second. Daniel 7, he comes with the clouds of heaven into the throne room of God and sits down and takes the kingdom. Jesus puts it the other way around. You'll see that the Son of Man is seated in the throne of God and he's coming with the clouds of heaven. With the angelic armies. Here Jesus tells the Jerusalem authorities they're going to see that he's thrown in heaven. And they will see judgment coming from heaven. That's exactly what happened in the 1860s. Culminating in AD 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple. Forty years after Jesus was falsely condemned and crucified, that city fell under the vengeance of God. It all came upon that generation. Yet that was only a foreshadow of the great day of the Lord yet to come, the last day, the day of judgment. When the Son of Man comes to end this age, 
judge the world and condemn the wicked and bring God's children into their eternal inheritance. The Son of Man foreseen by Daniel was even before his death, resurrection and exaltation demonstrating and using his divine authority. So we say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. To the glory of God the Father. The Son of Man was and is Yahweh, eternal God, in flesh. In Jesus, human nature and a human body were joined to the divine nature of the eternal Son. And he is one person. That's what the Son of Man is about. That's who he is. Jesus was and is truly man, but never merely man. Jesus was at no time anything less than God, the eternal Son. In Jesus, according to John chapter 1, we haven't got time to look at that, Yahweh came and lived among us. So let me give you some headlines as to how we respond to this. Jesus is our man in heaven. Jesus came from heaven as the eternal son of God, became for us the son of man, took on human nature, human body. Having suffered and died as our representative and redeemer, he entered heaven again as the son of man and now reigns as eternal God with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Yet he is still now the man, Christ Jesus. He has not forsaken his human nature, his human body. When Stephen stood before Jerusalem Council in Acts 7, and they're condemning him and stopping him in his preach. It was a good preach. I'd like to have heard the rest of it, but never mind. They, they interrupt him. And then suddenly Stephen says, look, look, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they put their hands over their ears and then they drag him outside and they stone him to death. But what he saw was the true vision. He witnessed to the same men who weeks or months before had condemned the Messiah to death that Jesus was exactly where he said he would be. Seated at the right hand of God. Fulfilling the Daniel 7 prophecy. Twice in the book of Revelation, John sees Jesus and describes him in this, he speaks him more often than that, but he describes him twice in this way. He saw among the, Revelation 1, among the lampstand was one like the Son of Man. Notice it, like the Son of Man. He looks human, but he's not a fallen human. He's not, in, he's not just like us. He has to be more than us because he's got to redeem us. One like the Son of Man dressed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. Revelation 4, I saw a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. It's time to harvest the earth. It's time to reap. To put it very plainly, a man sits in the throne of God. His name is Jesus. Among the cherubim and seraphim in blazing holiness and majesty and glory. Those Old Testament visions of Yahweh are understood in the New Covenant, and the New Testament, to be referring to Jesus. John says, Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus and wrote about it. Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. That was Jesus, John says. Who are we going to believe? The Holy Spirit who inspired these things. 
but he remains the same. Our Lord Jesus will eternally be truly God and truly man. So let me now. Do you get some rhythm in that phrase now? Do you see some meaning there? Jesus Christ, truly God, truly man, is the same yesterday and today and forever. The one you read about in the Gospels is the same. He's not changing. He's the same. His pity, his compassion... He's being moved in his, in his guts, literally in his guts, with compassion to heal people. He's the same. Yesterday, today, forever. He's not forgotten us, but all the experiences man amongst us and all the accomplished for us are the basis on which he continues to deal with us. He knows and empathizes with our weakness. Let me give you another scripture. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul writes, the man, Christ Jesus. He's still man, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Test me, that was given at just the right time. Son of man applied to the Lord Jesus is a magnificent name. I have learned in these past couple of months when I've been studying this, to just love this name. Son of man. It gives me delight, gives me hope. He's our mediator. He's our intercessor. My, my brother, my sister, listen. Maybe you, you, you're going to a difficult place tomorrow. You're going to an interview with the boss. You're going to the hospital to get a report. You're, going, you're doing something. You're going to go and see some people you really, don't really want to go and see. If someone said, I'll come along with you and I'll, I'll, I'll stay outside and I'll pray for you, you go, oh yeah, please. You'd love to have someone close by praying for you, wouldn't you? Let me tell you something. Jesus never stops praying for us. You have an intercessor on your case. He's the best one there ever will be. Jesus, the man, still feels with us and for us. He knows every pain. He knows what rejection is. He knows what abuse is. He knows what anger is. He knows what being hated is like. He knows what being... He knows his family turning against him. He knows our experiences, folks. And he comforts us and helps us and prays for us. In Paul's letter to Hebrews, he emphasizes that this Jesus is our man in heaven. He's a high priest and he's a king. As a high priest, he doesn't have for more sacrifices. He's done that once for all time, for all sin, on the cross at Golgotha. But he still represents us and makes intercession for us. This high priest is not something other to us. He's one with us. He has our human nature. He understands us, feels with us and for us. He is our man in heaven. That's why... Being a Christian is not just about, oh, in that moment you're saved and go away and come back later and you'll go to heaven. You know. Being a Christian is a living relationship with our man in heaven and through the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. We are relating to God through Jesus. And I, I love that, that illustration that John used last week. Was it Tozer who said, the Holy Spirit's like a, a, a powerful lamp that's shining behind you and pointing 
illustrating Jesus to you, presenting Jesus to you? Of course he is. Jesus must have the preeminence. He must have all the glory because of what he's done for us and what he still is for us. He will be eternally Jesus the Messiah, God and man in one person. One day, he will be our man from him. At the end of the age, on the last day, we will see him, Jesus, as he is. We'll see him with the clouds of heaven. Again, the armies of God coming. The dead in Christ will rise, and then we, if we're left alive, maybe me, maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> When's it going to happen? don't know. We can't know. You know that? You can't know. Anybody tells you they know when it's coming? Uh-uh. He says, you don't know. You can't know. So, there's this magnificent, glorious day when he appears. This man who enters the throne of God is also the one for whom the books are open because he's the judge. John 5.27, Jesus said, as the the Father has given him authority to execute judgment... Because he is the son of man. In other words, he's the son of man in Daniel 7 who's given the authority to judge. To sort it all through. To hear it all out. To decide every case. We look for the coming of the son of man, his return. That will be the end. You may have had complicated schemes about the second coming of Jesus. I'm really very simple in things I believe. Since the Lord Jesus rose from the tomb and ascended to the Father, we have been living in what Scripture calls the last days, the reign of Messiah. The time of the outpoured spirit, the time when the gospel needs to go to all the ends of the earth so every people group hear about him. And he has a harvest from every place on the earth. When this time has run its course, the gathering of all God's chosen ones from every people group on earth is done. The end will come. And he will come with the armies of heaven and gather his own to himself. Now I've avoided, for the sake of time, turning to the book of Hebrews in which Paul majestically argues the case for Jesus being a man in heaven, a high priest and a king. But towards the end of Hebrews, as Paul begins to get into application, he writes this. I'll just read it to you, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, it's inclusive, since we have confidence to enter the Most High by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain of his body. Interesting language, the curtain of the temple was torn so you had access. Jesus' body was broken on the cross so we have access. Since we have a great high priest of the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Oh no, never mind. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold resolutely, firmly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to spur one another to love and to good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit. But let us encourage one another all all the more as you see the day, that day, approaching. Keep drawing near to him in confident faith because you have an advocate, a mediator, a high priest, a king, a man in heaven. Hold firmly to faith and hope against everything that would tip you and buckle you and shake you. Hold firmly to your hope in Jesus. 
keep encouraging one another and keep gathering together so we can encourage one another. And listen to preachers too, I guess. But you know, people, some people have lost the, the, the kind of routine of being in fellowship, being in church, whether that's a Sunday or a small group or whatever else. And it's, it warns us here, you can't do that without loss, without going, coming to some loss. Keep doing all these things while it's called today, while it's not yet the last day. There's something else, too, to do while it's called today. If you're not yet a believer and a follower of Jesus, shall I tell you what you should do today? Trust yourself to him. All that you are, all that you have, sounds like a wedding ceremony, doesn't it? Give the entirety of your remaining life to his care, to his direction, to follow him and obey him. Will you call him Lord and submit yourself to him just as he submitted himself to the Father for our sake? See, he became man for us. He went to the cross for us. He rose again from the dead for us. He ascended to the Father, in a sense, for us. So that where he is, we may be also. To be with him. That's what he did for us. What's the response? What's the response? What's the action? Lord Jesus, I submit myself to you. Let's pray, shall we? If that, those words, the kind of prayer I was suggesting to you, have struck your heart, and you want to say them to him, you can say them as quietly as you like. Whisper them, say them to him now. Speak to Jesus, Son of Man and Son of God. And open your heart to him and trust him. Choose to trust him and commit yourself into his hands. Do it now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you hear the prayers of every humble heart, everyone who opens uh, themselves up to you, who does some seeking, they will find. When they come and ask, they'll receive. When they knock, the door is open for them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's your invitation to us. You have accomplished all that needs to happen. We simply need to believe and accept what you've done on our behalf. And for all of us, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we may have more confidence in the truth of who you are and what you've done. It may be that this word, this name, the Son of Man, which we read so often in the Gospel, begins to jump at us and gives us more hope, more faith, a greater assurance and confidence in who you are and what you've done and where you are now and what you're still doing for us. You're ruling over us as a great shepherd king. You're interceding 
before the Father for us. You're supplying us from heaven with the Spirit, with every help, with angelic messengers when it's necessary. Lord, all good things come from the Father through you, Jesus. And we worship your name. Amen. 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 Thank you. There's some notes here if anyone wants them afterwards. Thank you.